and welcome to For the Record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and spend 30 minutes discussing it in depth. This time we're listening to the fourth album by Canadian electronic artist Claire Boucher, who records under the name Grimes. The record is called Art Angels, and it starts out like this. This opening track, entitled Laughing and Not Being Normal, and that's all lowercase in case you were wondering, to me almost sounds like an electronic Joanna Newsom. It just has this aggressive weirdness and these over-the-top vocal affectations. When I thought about doing an episode on this album, I had to play some of it for you first because I wasn't sure if you'd hear that voice and just think, oh no, I can't listen to that enough times to do a podcast on it. I saw it described in one review that I read as kawaii helium, which I think is pretty accurate. Yeah, that's on point and it is kind of extreme, but I think this first track does a good job of inoculating the listener. I think the rest of the album is a little more restrained about how that helium voice gets deployed. And and also in this first track, we get this really operatic instrumentation, which, you know, the strings and a, a lot of synths too, and even the songwriting almost feels kind of classical. And that's not the way the rest of the album is. It's only hinted at, I think, on the other songs. But it does fit in well thematically because this introduces uh, a theme, I think, that's pretty un- pretty not uncommon, let's say, on a fourth or fifth album, that the artist starts to think about, how do I come to term with fame? And how do I come to term with the criticism that I'm unavoidably going to get by the result of being famous? So she asked the listener, read about me, not me, not me, it ends with me. And the second track, which is my favorite on this record, is a continuation of that thought where she seems to be responding to the experience of being thrust into the spotlight with the breakout success of her last album, Visions, which ended up with her moving from Montreal to rural British Columbia to California, which is the title of this song.
really love the sonic left turn that she takes here from that portentousness of that first track to this song, which is really the sunny pop. And it just sounds so positive, but yet there's this darkness here. There's this industrial percussion, which adds some heft. And, you know, I don't know how many sunny pop songs you've heard that have the track, or excuse me, the, the words commodifying all the pain. I think this is a literate songwriter and she's not afraid to use some $5 words. Yeah, if you look at this song as the flip side of Taylor Swift's Welcome to New York, which is a pop song written by a woman about the same age, moving to an urban center in conjunction with achieving more success as a musician, this is just so much more complex and thoughtful. She's really wrestling with the disconnect between who she is and how others see her, and also acknowledging the pressure to be a certain way in order to continue that success. She sings the lines, The things they see in me I cannot see myself. When you get bored of me, I'll be back on the shelf. Yeah, she manages such a nice balancing act that she's exposing the frustration of being a, an artist in the public eye, but she never comes across as self-pitying. And in the chorus, she asserts, you know, you only like me when you think I'm looking sad, but she's doing that in this bright and catchy song that's really rebuked to that assertion. I think she's daring us not to like this different version of herself. Yeah, we've got this lilting chorus over sort of a shimmery guitar line and a song that would have fit on 90s commercial radio. And then it's almost like she's trying to prove her point about feeling pressure to be a certain way by following it up with a song that's jarring in just about every aspect, especially coming in after California. It's called Scream in all caps, and it features Taiwanese rapper Aristophanes, and it's sung entirely in Mandarin with a scream for a chorus. Grimes is able to accomplish here with such stripped down instrumentation. For most of the song, it's just intricate drumming, driving bass, and the occasional whistle for punctuation during the verses. And then what sounds to me like these noisy guitars that really punch in and crank up the energy during those blood curdling screams that constitute the chorus. I think only very late in the song do we even hear any other instruments. It's amazing how much this song communicates a mood without my being able to understand any of the lyrics. As you mentioned, there's the noisy guitar and the really creepy bass line and then the kind of militaristic combination of these marching band drums and police whistle. And then, of course, the screaming and the very dark and sinister laugh, which I love. So I don't even know what the song is about, but I just know it comes off as sounding very aggressive and scary. Yeah, I did read what is hopefully an accurate translation of the lyrics, and it's some really raw stuff touching on some pretty, let's say, uh, explicit expressions of sexual desire which then curdle into rage i'm kind of glad it's in chinese i don't know that i could handle it 
directly in English. If you look up a picture of Aristophanes, she looks like just a very run-of-the-mill, cute Taiwanese girl. And I think this song comes from something Boucher talked about in an interview I read recently, where she said she's been interested in the Japanese archetype of a female protagonist who's very small and very cute, but very physically powerful. Um, she said you don't see that archetype in America. Apparently she's unfamiliar with the work of Joss Whedon. <laughs> I feel like the song is communicating that idea of these cute girls with very high kawaii voices being very threatening and kind of scary, and I, I like that. Yeah, the next track does cover, I think, similar ground, but in a much less scary way. Although, now that I think about it, the video for it does feature a shocking amount of blood. The song is called Flesh Without Blood. with headphones on because there are so many little samples she drops in there that only appear once or twice but just add a real richness to the sound. I think it's important to note that she not only recorded and produced this album herself but she played every instrument and spent part of the past three and a half years since Visions was released teaching herself to play ukulele and violin so she could use those on this record. I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, her, her self-taught musical talent is really impressive, but I think this track's also a good opportunity to talk about Grimes' media presence extending beyond the songs. You know, I mentioned that there's this video which is really bloody, and she wears angel wings in part of it, and then other part of it, she's dancing on this basketball court wearing a dress and a wig that you'd expect to see at Versailles. And then she gets stabbed in the gut, and it's all kind of gruesome. And she does give a lot of information in the interviews, but I don't, I'm not sure I want to trust it all. Like this song seems to be obviously a breakup track, and yet she tweets, "Nope, it's not a breakup track. I don't, I don't sing about relationships." Which, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I think I, it's time to remember the intentional fallacy that, regardless of what she says, it's about. I think with with lines like, "Remember when you used to say I love you almost every day," or I guess when we used to say rather, uh, that's certainly a breakup song. There's just it's how it is not. There's no way it's not a breakup song. Although there are lines like, you want money, you want fame. And, you know, maybe she's also singing to herself about facing that temptation to be a total sellout pop star. 
I think that's a contradiction that's at the heart of a lot of these songs, including the next one we'll play, Kill vs. Mame, that combines more sort of dark and violent imagery with a very pop-friendly sing-along chorus. magazine this song is sung and i quote from the perspective of al pacino in the godfather part two except he's a vampire who can switch gender and travel through space unquote <laughs> which is really hilarious uh, but it you know kind of is a warning to me that you need to focus on the songs and not get caught up in this expanded universe of videos and interviews and tweets and the cover art which boucher also draws and not just for the album but actually draws cover art I guess you would call it for a lot of the songs, kind of this anime influenced, really wacky stuff. And it's all very entertaining, but I worry maybe about being distracted from just the song. And this is a great song. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it a distraction. I think it's part of her self-conception as an artist. And I think she sees the visual component as an essential part of what she's trying to communicate with the music. Okay, that is a fair point in it. And I am, don't get me wrong, I'm really impressed that she's able to write and perform all of the instruments and sing and produce (laughs) and produce multiple pieces of visual art. And I think she directs the videos as well. And they all work. Like it's, the songs are great. The art is kind of cool looking the video is really well done they succeed on their own terms and work well together she's a scary scary talent in all the senses of scary (laughs) and at least structurally i think a lot of the songs are kind of simple and you know kind of verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus but then she mixes it up and spreads it out like we have this song there's a verse but then a pre-chorus and then this chorus is almost two different parts that sound completely different and this first one She's getting this shriek that is somehow also completely melodic and super percussive. And the other half, suddenly she switches into this crooning of I'm only a man. I do what I can with this, just the vocal styling and the morose chord progression that you see there totally give me flashbacks to Depeche Mode. It's funny that you mentioned Depeche Mode because that beginning keyboard line sounds almost exactly like the keyboard and just can't get enough to me. Maybe it's just me, though. There, there, there's there's more than a little similarity. Okay. And she combines that with this kind of zombie cheerleader sing-along chorus that I could almost hear Kathleen Hanna of Bikini Kill turning into a punk song. And I think 
it's kind of a cliche at this point to say that any album is defying genre, but she's mixing so many different sounds and styles and yet manages to make a sound that's her own. Yeah. That said, I, I am kind of glad that she's not afraid of sounding like her influences. For instance, on the next track we'll play, I think she does a really good job of channeling Madonna, and it's the title track of the album, Art Angels. about this song except that I love how she combines that super catchy guitar hook with what sounds like video game sound effects and the fact that she's demonstrating a bit more versatility with her vocals that she can do not only the high-pitched helium voice and the scary growl but also what's a pretty conventional mid-range female vocal style. Yeah I noticed a little of that video game sound on Kill vs. Mame as well I think and I think that's a hard thing to use without sounding ridiculous and I hear though it sounds pretty good and works well on both tracks and i agree that her vocals are more conventional but she still manages to i think to bridge her squeakier style in the verses within a much smoother style in the chorus where she's singing about her love of montreal and it's appropriately enough in french and yet totally sounding like madonna while in french which is kind of eerie and i think it is kind of sweet though that's this kind of love song to her hometown and she maybe she had to leave it but she still loves it and she's going to dedicate her album to it in this way and, you know, after exploring those different vocal styles, though, I think she does just straight up and embrace that squeaky sound in the next tr- track, which is very catchy. It's called Pit.
another of those tracks where you can see that even though she wants to keep her creative freedom and be weird in places, she's still willing to make what could easily be a commercially successful breakup song. But it's well done. I like the harp that's in there that calls back to the opening track. And the fact that the production is just so icy crisp. It's like every beat and every syllable just snaps. Yeah, I did not catch that harp until you pointed it out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a harp. And that is a hard instrument to use, I think, in a subtle way. It tends to call a lot of attention to itself. And so that's impressive. And I think that the, you know, while there is a lot of Christmas in the production, there are, you know, in those other instruments, there's some really breathy and kind of open synth sounds that I think, even though this is a really tight and very, very fast pop sound, it still manages to sound kind of dreamy at the same time. The weird one for this song, though, is that, you know, while I we certainly heard other styles and like, oh, that kind of sounds like Depeche Mode or that kind of sounds like Madonna. This song just is so kind of directly referential to a particular song because it just sounds like this kind of, let's say, lesser metric track called Black Sheep, which didn't even make it onto an album, but is in the soundtrack to Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And it is a simple enough sound that kind of guitar and synth lines that maybe, you know, I can believe that it wasn't intentional. And the fact is that I do really enjoy that song. So it's, you know, steal from the best, but it it was a little distracting for me. So after this track, there are a couple we'll skip over. And I noticed that most of the songs we chose not to talk talk about are in the back half. Grimes said in an interview that she saw the record as being made up of two halves. And I did get the sense that the initial tracks are the more high energy ones, which is what I tend to like. But here toward the end, she brings in some killer backup in the form of Janelle Monae, who really kind of pioneered this style of female-led art pop. She features on this next track called Venus Fly. way to say that while we did skip those songs for the most part they're very listenable but then you compare them to some of the good songs including a barn burner like this and they just wither by comparison janelle money's energy is just a great compliment to grimes and you just hear their solidarity against the mistreatment and objectification that they face in the world and it's 
totally compelling. And, you know, one thing I noticed is I think the rest of the album doesn't exactly ramble, but the songs take their time sometimes to get to where they're going. And here, this song just never stays in one place. You get this just tight verse, pre-chorus, chorus, and each clock's in at about 15 seconds. So that's already so quick. And then the drumming is really frenetic and high energy, and it just pushes you along. Yeah, that club-ready bass beat that leads you into the penultimate track really drives the song forward and it kind of calls back to kill versus Mame with a chorus kind of chanting and that's what i like about this album as a whole it covers so many different styles and incarnations of the grimes persona but it still hangs together as a record and i think if i heard any of these tracks in isolation i would immediately know who the artist was yeah threading such a distinctive signature through such a variety of sounds is just an amazing achievement and all the more so if, you know, I was already skeptical of her interviews, but in her interviews, at least, she claims that she didn't make music until she just one day at, I think, 20 years old was listening to music and just realized, oh, that's how to make music and started making it really well. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I buy that story, but it's a pretty great superhero origin. You know, I was a little worried when we came into this that I was going to get bored of it because it's just pop. And if you couldn't hear the air quotes... They were there. Oh, but wait. I think that it's it's not just pop. It's I think she sees the power of pop to reach a wider audience Precisely. and communicate a message to it, more people. Exactly. When I put the air quotes around, that's all about my bias as a music listener. And I'm delighted to have that bias proven wrong, which is what happened here. I think with a lot of song a lot of albums, excuse me, that we listen to and they are you know, pretentious. They're not pop at all. Oh, we're trying so hard. And after a couple of weeks of listening in preparation for the podcast, I'm done. I do not want to listen to that. You're not mentioning the name Destroyer. <laughs> I am not mentioning the name Destroyer. That's a recent example, but there are others. But no, I mean, even really good albums that I go back then a month or two later and I really like them. But this is so incredibly listenable. It's really catchy, but yet richly, richly layered. There's so much to reward that repeat listening. And then there's just the singular voice. And this is an artist who just cannot be ignored. And she also has a sense of humor about it herself. I mean, you hear it in some of those interviews. And I think you also hear it, especially at the start of this last track we'll play and the last track on the album, Butterfly, which will go out with that track. This has been For the Record. And we've been discussing Art Angels by Grimes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.